this morning. And thank you, Mike, for, for that prayer, because uh, I, I love when you pray, because it always glorifies Christ and brings in a great blessing and edification for us. So I appreciate that. I'm just going to read from two places. And I'm going to read from John 13. And I'm going to read from verse 23. And, and you could look at uh, verses 1 through 22 to see where we even arrive at verse 23. And it's really interesting. But this is what it says in John 13, 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And I love this. I love this verse there because when it says he was leaning, that means he was, he had him, his whole self, the weight of himself and every single care and every single thought about himself and others, he was putting it on Jesus' bosom. And the bosom there is the place of the most intimate fellowship and exchange of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. It was that co-pon, K-O-L-P-O-N, and that is the bosom, the bosom. So he was leaning his entire everything on Jesus' bosom, and it was one of those that was his, his students, and that's what we are. We're his continual pupils. And then it says this, whom Jesus loved, and that's the place of the most intimate love life for the individual, and that's where we, which each of us do. Each of us ought to do that. And it's our constant privilege to the glory of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and our blessing. And as we do it for ourselves, we have the privilege to bring others there. And that's to their blessing. And that, of course, is John 10, 10. B, we have this life individually, but now we can have it in abundance. And that is always giving and sharing what we've received with others. So that's what he was leaning his entire everything on Jesus Christ. And that's obviously faith dependence in God's love that brings in a protection that nothing else and no one else can replace. Then we look at 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, and, and when we read uh, verse 14, it's very interesting. Uh, it would do us well if we have if we have the time and all of us by grace should make it by grace and his leading to read chapter 12 and 13 before we even get to chapter 14. Because really in the original Koine Greek New Testament, there are no chapters and verses. It's just a beautiful flow. But for us to understand it in part, verse Corinthians 13, 12, it's been broken up in scriptures and God even uses that in terms of our growth and our capacity. But in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 6, it says this, Now, brethren, I, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, many different languages, by the way, it's glossolalia, they're known foreign languages that came from God as a result of Genesis, the 11th chapter. What will I profit you? And remember, profit is protection and profit is love that flows through grace. And so... It, what will, it, what will I profit you except I will speak to you, and this is extremely important, by revelation, meaning truths that are taught and given to us experientially that have to do with our position that we cannot do apart from submitting to God the Holy Spirit so that he can take those things in a proper way 
of understanding with a proper voice and a proper tone for us to experience and then through us for others to experience. And that's revelation. We constantly have to have these things revealed to us experientially. And always is his love and always is intimacy and it always is protection. And so if I will speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by darkness, prophesying is what is what he was being taught by uh, God, the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And then he could then do the same thing. It would be the same breath of God in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. God would be breathing, would be breathing out through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through Paul as a vessel. He would be breathing it out with a certain voice and a certain tone. And this is what he's saying. Or by doctrine, or by continual teaching. Right? And even things without life. Giving sound, whether pipe, like an instrument or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound. Sounds here is really tunes. It's really tunes, a certain tune, a certain melody. In the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet, and the trumpet here is really beautiful. We'll get, we'll, if God has us to do that, we'll get into Numbers, the 10th chapter, in those first 10 verses to understand the trumpet. As, as what he was speaking to Israel in, in their journey through the wilderness on their way to their promised land. And that's the same for us. And that's the trumpet that calls us to our proper home with Christ. And we will see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. And we see it in Revelations chapter 4 and verse 1, where the beloved apostle on the Isle of Patmos, when he would, it was called to him, he heard a trumpet. It was a voice that said, it was a voice, it was speaking a certain tone, saying, come up here. And this is positional truth, and to God to reveal it through him, through the Apostle John, as a vessel uh, to others, to us, that are in Christ. And this is what it's teaching here. For if the trumpet in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, give an uncertain sound. And what this uncertain sound is, is man mixing his will with God's will, with Christ. And this is 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20, and 21, 20 and 21 especially. We're not to mix our thoughts with God's thoughts. We're not to mix the flesh with who Christ is. And this is why we need a constant separating, sanctifying process in, in John 17 and verse 17, and, uh, and beautifully, this is based upon Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the separating, sanctifying process. So, but what, if it gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for the battle, the enemy coming against us in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, based upon uh, the beauty of learning and discipline in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. So who's going to prepare himself to battle? This is hearkening back again to the certain tones and sounds that God would use through the trumpet to speak to the nation of Israel when they were to go, what they were to do, when they were to do it, and how they were to be prepared for a battle, and how they would be prepared for rest with all a certain tone that the trumpet would give. And this, obviously, is Christ the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So it says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 14, so likewise, except you, and this is very personal for us, you is who we are, each of us as individuals in Christ, except you utter by the tongue words easy, words easy, and really the Greek is significant. There's a significance in the voice and tone that Christ speaks to us. This has nothing to do with the flesh, nothing to do with the will of man outside being submitted to Jesus Christ, who finished the work, fulfilled the will, and finished the work of, of God. And that was what who Christ was, and only he did that alone in John 4 and verse 34. And he finished the work in John 19 and verse 30. So it says, so likewise, except you utter by the tongue words significant for yourself to be understood, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will speak into the air. And that's what the flesh does. Speaks into the air. And there's no substance to it. There's nothing. There's no substance to it. You speak into the air. And, and Satan, in, in, in Ephesians 2, 2, he's the prince and power of the air. And he'll use the flesh to do so. And that's what makes it so necessary for us to hear the proper voice in the proper tone. And the only way we can do that is lean ourselves completely on the bosom, the, the bosom of Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can hear a father speak to us, a loving father, speak to us. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 20 and verse 17. He said in his own unique way, in terms of only who he is, uh, that I'm going to my father and my God, but I'm also by going there, I'm bringing you to your Father and to your God. And so it says here then, if you don't speak according to, to the tone and voice of Jesus Christ, by you leaning everything on him, not relying on the flesh in any single way, then you will just otherwise speak to the air. There'd be no substance involved in it. There are, he says in verse 10, Holy Spirit through Paul, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices as opposed to the one voice of the shepherd, the one voice in Ecclesiastes 12, 11. There are only words that proceed from one shepherd through many different vessels that are submitted to him in Ephesians 4 and verse 8, but he only, speak, only one shepherd speaks to us individually. There are many kinds of voices in the world, this satanic world system. And none of them is without signification. None of them are, are, is, is without significance because the thief comes through voices to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that he might, and he did come, that he would give us life, and he has, but then to give it abundantly to us and in and, and abundance to others. And this brings into the beauty of the oneness of the of the body of Jesus Christ, fastened and fixed in local assemblies in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and in course in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 right through uh, 27. And so here it says this, therefore, if I, this is personal, this is us, if I know not the meaning of the voice, and we won't, when we don't lean on Jesus Christ, his word for everything, and to do so for ourselves, and to water ourselves, and to make ourselves fat with Christ. That means just nothing but Christ make and, and room in us. Nothing but Christ 
in us. And this is Proverbs 11 and verse 25. The liberal soul will be made fat, but not for itself, for God's glory and for others. And he that waters will himself be watered. And that's how he does this. That's why Christ is the head of the body, not the pastor. He will use the pastor for these things. But as he does that, he's learning. And God is dealing with him precisely as that word is passing through him to others in a very beautiful way, but with a voice and a tone that never has an ounce of condemnation or guilt attached to it in Romans 8, 1 through 3. This is very necessary. And that's where the flesh comes in. It's a different voice. And we see the results of that in Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. So here it says, Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I will be unto him that speaks like a barbarian. Someone completely out of his own control. Completely out of control. And boy, that's why we need love. And that's why we need to lean on him. Because love always speaks of protection. Not just for ourselves, but for others. And this is based upon Christ being glorified, glorifying the Father in John 13, 31 and 32. And based upon that glory in John 17 and verse 5, that glory that we all have in us now, Christ, a guarantee of our glory. That means our personal, in, intense and deep fellowship and intimacy with him for all eternity. And this is Colossians 1 and verse 27. And this is based upon Revelations 2 and verse 17 for each of us. Therefore, if I know not the, the meaning of the voice, I will be unto him that speaks like a barbarian. And you know what a barbarian is. He care for anybody but himself. He will go around and slaughter everything and everybody. He will use anything and everything that he can get for himself. And boy, I'll tell you, that's the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of in Romans 8 verse 9. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I will be unto him that, that speaks like a barbarian, and he that, that speaks will be a barbarian unto me. Do you see that? The flesh, the enemy, trying to use in us the flesh against us to be against the flesh in another. Verse 12. Even so, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, of the spirits of gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And this is something that's completely foreign to the church because it doesn't have a thing to do with Christ and the deep love that he has for, in Matthew 16 and 18, listen, for his church. No man is the authority over his church. Christ is the authority, and that authority is love. That love always speaks of protection. So this is what John was doing in John 13 and verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, the place of the most intimate depth of fellowship. That Listen, nothing could disturb or distract. And when we function in his love, we're protected. We're kept. We have perfect peace in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Because Christ is the perfection of that peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. And then we can have that peace in Philippians 4 and verse 7. And there can be a raging, and in the world system, there is a raging hurricane, but we're in the eye. The eye. The eye, the calm. The eye is there in the, in the hurricane, 
in the midst of that, the I, where is nothing but peace. Nothing but peace. And that I there is Job 36 and verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. He always speaks in terms of calm, restful voices, a voice through his son and a, and a tune that's so easy to receive. And we rest in it. And he never removes his eye from the righteous. And uh, his eye is all, we're the apple of his eye in Deuteronomy 32.10. We're the apple of his eye. The most intimate place in Psalm 17 and verse 8 and in Zechariah 2 and verse 8, where the apple of his eye. So John, and this is what we're to do through the word today. John heard, he learned, and boy, we have to learn about the flesh and about who we are in Christ until we know the depth of the depravity of the flesh do we even need Christ. And of course, we don't. And these are the two things that he uses. But John heard and learned and received the tone. He received the proper tone. He received the proper voice of Jesus' voice. You know, that's the voice that Jesus, our precious Savior, even now, intercedes for us. Not an ounce of condemnation. No. No. I don't find out someone's sin to talk about it, to confess it, to condemn them but to restore them, to completely restore them to their proper place, to their proper identity. And uh, so John heard Jesus' voice. He heard how tender Jesus' heart was toward him without change, through all of his failure, through all of his mistakes. He heard that. And then he could hear it now in a proper way towards his people, towards Jesus' people towards his church. It's his church, not our church. We're in it. We're of it, but it's his church. And John adopts Jesus' tone, his affectionate and personal tone. And that's why even there we see in 1 John 2 and verse 8, and I'll just read that in 1 John 2 and verse 8, and this is where he passes. And this is a very beautiful thing for me to understand this morning. In 1 John 2, 8, it says, Again, I, a new commandment I give unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light is now shining. It didn't just shine once and stop. No, it's continually shining. Continually shining. And that's why the word, when you see the word we, and you'll see that in 1 John chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and four and five. When you see the we, the we there is talking about our positional. Listen, in one sense, it's our formal, factual, unchanging position. That's what it is. But he passes because of the tone and the voice of Jesus Christ that he's received for himself. It passes from the formal, the we, into the experiential truth. And this is where he uses the word technia. I want you to know that you're his child. You know how I know? It's because I, I had to learn and continue to learn to lean on him. I'm his, his child. He's going to protect me. My only protection is him. 
And so he's technia. And he goes from the formal, positional, to bring it into the experience, to have this true fellowship in 1 John 1, 1 to 3, and to have it with each other in the fourth verse there. And so what he was remembering was this. He was remembering how, as a little child, he was laying his head on Jesus' most intimate relationship between his father and, and him and, and became his through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so John remembered how his master, and he knew, I cannot master myself. I cannot do it. I cannot master fleshly lust. I cannot do it. Only he can. None of us can. And we all have them. God forbid that we should look at one another and compare. This person spent this amount on this particular thing. And they spent this and they did that. You know, all of that may be right or wrong, but it is certainly only God's business. Our business is to love one another and not compare ourselves. Even in, even in the way that we spend money, whether it's right or wrong, and by the way, God has a way of dealing with that, but only he can do it properly. Our business is to love them and to pray for them. Period. Period. No one in Christ's body no one in the sight of God and Jesus Christ are those that are his. Are they in any way an enemy? Ever. Ever, never, 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 never. And our business is to love them. And if we know certain things, and sometimes the leaders need to know these things about people and their, their, their particular sins and failures, not to condemn them, not to even see them after, but to help repair them. And we will see this. In, in a deeper way, with some words that we can bring up on Monday, if God so uh, deigns to do so, if he does. But here John knew how he had to be mastered by God's love. And when his love doesn't master us, the flesh comes in and begins to master us, to master others. And we know who's behind the flesh. The thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10a, and that's Satan. But he knows how God constantly, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how constantly Christ was constantly communicating the life that, that Christ made for him personally. Constantly communicating to him and then through him to others. That's why Jesus has to teach us constantly, come unto me, all you that labor. We all labor. We all do dumb things. We all do things we never should do. We all have certain regrets. We all did stupid things with money. We all did, in some form or fashion, whether we knew it or not. And we're not to compare ourselves. We're not to look on one another after the flesh. We're not to. We're to love one another. And, and when we give ourselves to prayer, we give ourselves for God to love us through others, through the communication of the word, and that's what Acts 6 Verse 4 is bringing out clearly for each and every single one of us. And so he said, come unto me, all you that labor. You're going to labor. And I'm the only one that can do away with what you labor on experientially because it's been finished uh, positionally. And then you're heavy laden. You will struggle with your own things, and then the enemy will take things of others and put them on you. But God only allowed both laboring and laboring, to bring us to himself. 
It's never a blame game. No one's ever at fault. No, no one's ever, 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 ever at fault. We're to counsel one another only uh, through his love that he's given us. That flows through grace, something we never deserve and could never in a million years earn or do a single thing about. So he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give. You see, this is what love always does through grace. It's constantly giving, constantly giving. And I will give you rest. And that's each of us that is ours positionally that has to come into our experience. Then we, each of us, individually rest with him and have an affectionate, intimate relationship with him that flows through us to the rest of the body and then reaches out to evangelize the world, the unsaved. And so he said, come unto me and learn of me. And I will give you rest. But to do it, you have to take my yoke. You have to take my yoke. You have to learn it when you're young in Lamentations 3 and verse 27. All the way through your growth, you have to learn you need a yoke. Jesus never did need a yoke in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. But we certainly do. Jesus never needed to be restrained because he never had a fleshly sinful nature in him. We do. We need a yoke. We need a yoke. And, uh, and with that yoke, I take my yoke upon you and learn of me because then you will experience my gentle, patient love for you. Through you. Not just through you personally, but through you to others. And of course, that starts with our, our wives and our most intimate family in, in, in the home life, which is still no different apart from the body life and the local assembly that flows out to lost and and world that's on their way to an impassable gulf of eternity. And this is very important. So he he said, come come unto me, because there's no other true way of learning and growing in the grace and truth that Jesus is. We have to lean on him for everything. That's what John was doing, and that's what he was teaching, and that's what he's teaching us. Because if we don't, we will lean on others to do something that only Jesus has done in such a personal way for each of us. We need to trust God for ourselves. We need to trust God for our family. We need to trust God for the local assembly. It's not that we can't trust people. It's that we don't trust God for those that are his. And when we don't, we try to make them ours. And then we take on a false burden and a false need. And it's only through the flesh. But thank God we're not of it. In Romans 8 and verse 9, we're not of the flesh. But this is the thing that I have found out through his beautiful counsel to me in a most continual and beautiful way. And he has to teach me this, and he's teaching all of us, that the flesh is a cruel and hard taskmaster. And we are so ignorant of it in ways. Not for him to condemn us, but to lovingly, patiently deal with us. The flesh is a cruel and hard taskmaster. And each of us know that before it even comes to to affecting anybody else. He has to teach us this. That the flesh that's in us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9 is a cruel and hard taskmaster. And this he gives. And this is the warning that he's giving in 1 John 2, 1 through right through the verse 8. In 1 John 2, 8, the warning is this. It's a loving, convicting warning. Listen, never to discourage us in our pursuit of holiness. That means a proper, 
experience through submitted will, holiness. To have that holiness, and he doesn't want us to, to embolden us in, sin, in sinning, continually in flesh. But what? But in order that you may not sin, because that will affect your intimate, loving, affectionate protection that he has for you. And if you are left and I am left unprotected in an area, then the enemy can use the flesh in me for someone else. And not for them, but against them. We know his love is for us in Romans 8 and verse 31 and in Psalm 56 and verse 9. So we see the flesh and we see the severity of it. We even see it without getting into it, maybe at a different time. We see that in Luke 19 and verse 21. The flesh is so hard in itself, so deceived that it accuses God of being hard. Then we accuse God and others. And then we put our nose in their personal business when we have no right to do that. None whatsoever. Pastor, a pastor teacher has no right. I have no right. No Christian has any right to stick their nose in someone else's business because that business is God's. Through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't teach the word to pry, to make gossip about someone's failure, or to use it to compare ourselves with them in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. What do we have that we didn't receive by pure grace? And so we see the severity in conduct, in, in character, the flesh. We see that in Luke 19, verse 21, where in Psalm 10 and verse 4, God is not in all their thoughts. God is not in a single thought of the flesh. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. I can't know myself. I, I can't know God. I can't know myself outside of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I can't know you. I will judge you according to the flesh when you were already judged and dealt with. And that's all he's doing. He's just dealing with us, with things that are already dealt with. And we make them issues. That's the flesh. That's what we do. And uh, he's not going to have it. In his, his beautiful love, he won't have it. And he's warning. He warns us lovingly. How severe in conduct and character and how strict and rigorously we become self-disciplined in the flesh. In the flesh. And call it God. And then compare ourselves and make ourselves in Psalm 50 and verse 21 to be equal with God. But he comes and thank God he does that. He comes and sets an order. Think, order. The order of who Christ is in 1 Corinthians 14.33 and 14.40. He sets an order by dealing with the flesh in us. In me. Dealing with it. That flesh that's so sour. That's so harsh in flavor. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste him. But only the humble in 34.2 will hear thereof. Submit, not just hear, and not just declare it in the flesh, but actually experience it separated from the flesh, a proper experience. But the humble will hear thereof, and boy, they'll be glad, and boy, they'll pass that on in Psalm 34 and verse 2. They will do that so easily. As we close this morning, and, and I want to get into this with you. I want to be in a place on Monday where I can be with you and, and, and the Holy Spirit can bring these things of Christ into us together and show how one we are. Because the doctor says, and we'll close with this, the doctor says to his patient, 
in Jesus' heart to us. Listen, we're his patients, no one else's. We're his patients. He does the operating. Oh, how the flesh will do it. The doctor says to his patients, hey, in the most beautiful voice and tones, your trouble is your obstinance. Your trouble is the pride of the flesh. The poison is in your blood. You were born with it in Psalm 51 and verse 5. It was passed on to you, not to bear us the blame in Romans 5.12. No. No. Not that that goes into a man defiles us. It's that that comes out. See, that does away with the blame game in Matthew uh, 15, 16 to 20. And in Mark uh, chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. So he says, your trouble, the doctor says, your trouble is your obstinance. The poison is in your blood, and it will take a long time to eradicate it. It does. It takes growth. It takes patience. It takes love. It takes a lot of leaning constantly. A lot of leaning and depending upon him for what he's done and finished. It takes a long time, but God does not tell us this. The doctor doesn't tell us this to discourage you and I or to make you and I careless. No, on the contrary, to make you watchful. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and as you watchful and as you lean on him, you will see love and you will experience it. And you will have that for others. To make us watchful, watchful and diligent, and we'll get into these words too, to make you diligent quickly, quickly to run to him, quickly in Hebrews eleven six. To make you and I diligent in the use of the remedy that Christ is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he, he tells us again, though, too, in our growth, that if, however, and this is, again, beautifully brought out in 1 John 2, 1, right up to verse 8. If, however, you, you happen to fall into sin, he does not want us to lose heart, to live in fear to quit, to live in anger or bitterness because of it. No, no, because you and I have two comforters. We have Jesus in heaven comforting us constantly. We have, and, and that's in Romans 8, verse 34, Jesus in heaven. And that's in Hebrews 9, and verse 24, and Hebrews 7, and verse 25. And we have the Holy Spirit on earth in Romans 8, and verse 24. We have two comforters, and that's based upon John 14, verse 16. And he wants to bookend us in comfort. And understand that Jesus Christ, and again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he champions and brings in the victory. In Romans 8, verse 37, in 2 Corinthians 2, and verse 14, the triumph, the victory that we have. Because Jesus Christ himself took our cause as our advocate. He did this. And so this is a beautiful truth that he's, he brings out to us in, in the most beautiful way that he desires to do. And, and this is why we have the privilege to come and, and allow and just to come and treatable because we can trust his love when he begins the operation. And maybe it hurts, but it, but it hurts to deliver. It hurts to deliver. The hurt is only the poison that he's taking out of the, the flesh in us in areas. That's all it is. That's all it is. 
And that's a beautiful thing. And Father, we thank you for your preciousness and the beauty of your word, the beauty of your counsel. You find out our sin, not to condemn us, but to free us. And you give us the privilege to do that for each other. I pray in me and in our local assemblies, in our marriages, in our local assemblies, personally in each of us, that this would be a present reality based upon a proper image uh, that we would cover. Love covers. It covers in Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Love covers in 1 Peter 4, 8. It doesn't reveal. It doesn't uncover. And I know I wouldn't want my sins known. And I certainly don't want to know others after them. And so God will give it to leaders, not to expose them, but to love them and to cover them. And Father, thank you for this beautiful truth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.